where Farhana Kara pitches more money to Muslim advocates in order to argue that Muslims were being discriminated against now on the basis of race. And where did they go for the money? And they got the money. They went to billionaire philanthropist who gives money to the Democratic Party, a man by the name of George Soros. Open Society Foundation started funding not only Farhana's organization, but also this other organization called the Council on American Islamic Relations, which is a front group. CAIR, very notorious. Yes, and they are the front group for many of these political Islam movements overseas from Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Turkey, Pakistan, and very illiberal values. But guess what? It wasn't good enough for the uncles at the mosque. They said, Asra, sister, take the back door. And so I had gone to temples, monasteries in India, and I saw that women could walk through the front door. They could pray next to the men. But in my mosque in Morgantown, West Virginia, not only were they telling me to go to the back door, but they were telling me, go upstairs to the balcony because a woman's face, her hair, her presence was too much of a distraction to men. The so woman, the white feminists, after decades of fighting for women all over yes, the world, yes. just give up? And at that, or have they been bought off? Or what happened? What happened is they got shamed because they're... What about the Gloria Steinems of the world yeah. and all these other white women? What happened to them? They, at that moment, when I confronted this imam at my... At my you were you, alone. I was alone. And I, I remember to this day, the rows of women who had come from the Women's Studies Department to support me. But then they were silent because he shamed them. He said, how dare you speak about my religion? You know, this man who's a convert and he's going to out-Muslim me now, right? Because... He, as a convert, thinks he knows Islam better than my family or those of us born into the religion. Then June 7th, 2020, we get this email. And I know this day because it's my birthday. And I want you to just read uh, the lines that I've highlighted here. Okay. And this is a letter. I'm so here just... it says, the recent events in our nation with black citizens facing death and continued injustices remind us that we each have a responsibility to our community to speak up and take actions that counter racism and discrimination in our society. So I that's implore, nice enough. Yeah, that's good. I implore you to think about your own journey and discovery of race and economic advantage in America. Yes. Please think of privileges you hold that others may not. Yes. So this is the privileges, poverty, succeeding over colonialism, murder of my friend Danny. What amazing privileges I have enjoyed in this world, right? Raising a son by myself, facing, you know, the hardships. So they're calling you yes. because you you have a child in that school. Yes. You call They're calling you a privileged person. Exactly. Uh, associated with the, the all the oppression of blacks. Exactly. As though you had something to do with it. Exactly. As though these 70% who are Asians right. are to blame. Right. So now the 70% of the population of this school, right. which is a prestigious school, right. who are, are Asians, right. are being told 
that the problems of blacks in this country it's are on your shoulders. Not, right. So I want, I want people to understand how dangerous this is because we are people who believe in children. And I want you to read that. What does that say? It says, innocence is overrated. Can you imagine? So actually they're fighting childhood innocence. There's a whole yes. movement. Yes. You want to talk about it? Yes. Yeah. I want, because I want people to understand that it, it's on every level. That's why people call it cultural Marxism, because it's a war on your identity in whichever way it is expressed in a, in a threat to this woke army. We think of the United States of America as the world center for capitalism, democracy, free thinking, science and technology. Guess what? All of these are being challenged and now the United States of America's leading export ideologically is wokeism. And we're going to talk, tell, tell you how this is destroying America, breaking America, and the same breaking America syndrome is being exported everywhere, especially to India. Welcome back. In the first of the two episodes we've already done, uh, Asra explains her life story as a practicing Muslim who has this kind of a game-changing, world-transforming, lifestyle-changing uh, trauma, which is the death of Daniel Pearl, who was a famous Wall Street Journal journalist in India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, covering the, the, the Taliban activities. And so was she covering business for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and uh, while a practicing Muslim, she was uh, fairly neutral politically. Uh, but her best friend, Daniel, got killed in a very terrible way. She was part of the investigation. In fact, he, uh, he, they were together just before he left and never came back. And so she was part of that whole experience, the trauma, the investigation, working with the FBI, working with Daniel's wife. Uh, and, and, and so that transformed her. Uh, and the Daniel Pearl story became her shift from a kind of a neutral, politically neutral Muslim to somebody very antagonistic to the power structure in Islam from within. So as a practicing Muslim, uh, somebody who says who is very outspoken, very critical, very uh, uh, risk taking, uh, but very serious in her scholarship, which we'll discover. So that was the first episode. The second episode was how uh, she discovered that radical Islam and the left have merged into a, the, what he calls the unholy alliance. And in the discussion in the second episode, we also brought in African-Americans are part of this, which is unfortunate because I think while radical Islam, we can expect a certain type of behavior and the left, we can, because of their Marxist origins, we can expect the tendency to have revolutions and violence and all that. Blacks have, I think, are being used. Yes. I think they're being used in right. this because the the Muslim side has its own agenda. Yeah. They are using left the left to dismantle opponents right. and Islamize the world. And the left has its own agenda. They think that the Muslims will be useful idiots who will go and do all this nonsense for them. Right. And then the communism will take over the world or Marxism will take over the world. But blacks don't have that kind of a history or that kind of an intention. And I think they are they are sort of being the gullible people who've been promised that uh, this whole uh, oppression against them, which is real oppression, it has it has a history, that the way to solve that oppression is through joining with the Muslims and the leftists 
to have this kind of a revolution to overthrow all structures. Yeah, and this is really the black activists, you know. This is not even most of the community. Just like the Islamists, the Muslim establishment doesn't represent most Muslims, but they are the money makers. You know, they're the ones who are creating these NGOs, these non-governmental organizations, non-state actors to create a machine of activism. So there's activism. a whole cottage industry. Yeah, it's a there's cottage a whole, industry. There's a whole economy. There's right. people who make their living doing this. Right. And there are people who fund it. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things I want to point out and get your, your reflections on it is that soon after 9-11, uh, Muslims in this country were in trouble politically. Right. I mean, the establishment, the media, everybody was after them. They were suspect and they were on the defensive. Right. Now, it's very interesting how in a few short years, right. they have managed to turn that around yes. and take over the Democratic Party. Yeah. In fact, weaponize the Democratic Party right. into their machine. Right. So this is so strange that in the country where they've done this 9-11, yeah. where they are being targeted and the FBI is after them, the FBI went to every Muslim home and interviewed them. And not, every, not every one of not them, everyone. but yeah. But they went, they started doing surveillance on mosques, you know, they, they, they did surveillance on the community. The Patriot Act was passed. And, you know, whether you agree with it or not, there was a new scrutiny on extremism yes. within the Islamic faith. Yes. And it was necessary. But, but there were powers like the government of Saudi Arabia, the government of Qatar, and then later the government of Turkey, plus interest groups in Pakistan that didn't want this scrutiny so, to so happen. So you feel that the transition from the Bush era to the Obama era yes. is when it, they got this opportunity to get in and yeah. shift things around. Yes, and I know the exact moment. There was an email that was sent from a woman running an organization called Muslim Advocates. Sounds great, right? Farhana Kara is her name. And she sent it to who? One of the top staffers for the Hillary Clinton campaign, a man by the name of John Podesta. Mm -hmm. and, yes, of course. Yes, right? And so John Podesta is famous now because he had a little problem with keeping his email secure. And he was subs um, the target of one of those phishing operations. And that's how the emails of Hillary Clinton got exposed to the world through many of these different channels, you know, and WikiLeaks and so many other places. So in those emails, I saw the documentation where Farhana Kara pitches more money to Muslim advocates in order to argue that Muslims were being discriminated against now on the basis of race. And where did they go for the money? And they got the money. They went to billionaire philanthropist who gives money to the Democratic Party, a man by the name of George Soros. Well known to our audience. Yes, and this was where it began. And the Open Society Foundation, the quote, Open Society Foundation, started funding not only Farhana's organization, but also this other organization called the Council on American Islamic Relations, which is a front group. CAIR, very notorious. Yes. And they are the front group for many of these political Islam movements overseas from Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Turkey, Pakistan, and very illiberal values. They put women in the back door of the mosques. 
They are anti-gay. They do not believe in secular democracy. You know, so I, I was observing this and just thought to myself, how, how is this happening? And just like you were saying, it was this unholy alliance. But now they had their before front door. We, before we go to, uh, for, forward, uh, at that point in time, yeah. didn't Hillary Clinton hire as her right-hand person, the chief of staff, yes. a, a, a Muslim from Pakistan, right. who a lot of people say played a role in this radicalization or opening the door to other radical groups to enter. Yeah, Huma Abedin. Yes. And she had this comfortable relationship with these theocrats. Right. You know, she had lived in Saudi Arabia. Her mother was working within that empire. And like a lot of people from South Asia who have become part of the Gulf state economy, she had uh, friendliness to those governments. And she made those introductions when in fact, as a Muslim, you know, who actually, if you look at her, her life story, she doesn't practice in her life a fundamentalist expression of Islam. You remember who she married? Uh, a, a congressman. Yes. Uh, with, uh, with a notorious, uh, uh, how he ended his career right. uh, through this, all this uh, exposing himself and it, so on. Timothy Weiner. Yeah. And he was not Muslim. Right. I don't know if he converted to Islam. I don't think so. But, you know, so there were there were principles of, of a fundamentalist so she, Islam that she, she, she didn't had this practice. Profile. She yeah. had this profile of being very liberal right. because she's married this Jewish guy yes. and she doesn't practice. She doesn't cover her so, hair. So for the Saudis and for all these people, she was a perfect front. Right. And she was with Hillary Clinton. So, so what better positioning could they have uh, uh, as somebody through whom they can channel yeah. their influence? And so something really, really important started happening then that I want everybody to understand because... Everybody is very well aware now of the campaign against India and the campaign against Hindus. But I want everybody to understand where these tactics really began in the American setting with these organizations. So there I was. After my poor friend Danny's murder, I became a reformer. And I walked in through the front door of my mosque in Morgantown, West Virginia, with my baby on my hip. I was wearing the hijab that I had worn to Saudi Arabia, but guess what? It wasn't good enough for the uncles at the mosque. They said, Asra, sister, take the back door. And so I had gone to temples, monasteries in India, and I saw that women could walk through the front door. They could pray next to the men. But in my mosque in Morgantown, West Virginia, not only were they telling me to go to the back door, but they were telling me, go upstairs to the balcony because a woman's face, her hair, her presence was too much of a distraction to men. And you know what they told me then, Rajivji? They said, but why don't you want to sit in the balcony? You're closer to heaven. I said, well, then why don't you go to the balcony? But there we were fighting. And guess who was with me? My mom and dad. This is an Achilles heel. Because everybody knows women's rights is supposed to be supported in the United States of America. But now these organizations are standing up against equal rights for women. Council on American Islamic Relations, Islamic Society of North America. And these are the organizations that Huma is now bringing into the Democratic Party. So was there a pushback from white feminists? Yes. And why not? And why Does did it were? happen? And I'll tell you why it happened. 
because they started doing character assassination on the Muslim reformers like me. So they started calling us Islamophobe. So your friend Akbar Ahmed, he helped to bring this term to the West and, and exploit it. And what were they calling when you were Islamophobe? They called you a racist. And then after you're a racist, you're now part of the white supremacist machine. So that's how they tried to discredit us. And so that's what you're why saying the, is so yeah. the, the white feminists stopped being true to themselves yes. because of their propaganda? Yes, because what they became afraid. So as a Muslim woman trying to bring women's rights yes. into Islam, should have been supported by right. white feminists. Yes. They should and, have supported you. And initially they did in okay. the first few years. But there was a critical moment, I'll tell you, I, I'm just remembering it right now. It was in Morgantown, West Virginia, where I grew up, when I went to, where I went to college. They brought an imam, a cleric, and he was a convert. Yusuf Estes is his name. Uh, ch he changed his name. And he preached from this chapter and verse in the Quran. It's chapter 4, verse 34, Surat al-Nisa, which means women that first, for a disobedient wife, a man can admonish her, and then he can turn away from her in bed. And the third option is he can beat her lightly. And I call it the 434 dance. How do you beat a woman lightly? And they literally preached, like this guy, Yusuf Estes, I had him on his video. He said, roll up a newspaper, like you do with a dog, right. and whack him on the nose, whack him on the head. One imam, I call it the wet noodle strategy, he, have a, he had a sermon, he said, take a noodle and beat your wife with the noodle, wet noodle. How stupid. It's so, it's so juvenile, right? But it's, it's, um, it's ultimately about power. Right? Assert power over the so woman. So the white feminists, after decades of fighting for women all over yes, the world, yes. just give up? And at that, or have they been bought off? Or what happened? What happened is they got shamed because they're... What about the Gloria Steinems of the world yeah. and all these other white women? What happened to them? They, at that moment, when I confronted this imam at my... At my you were you, alone. I was alone. And I, I remember to this day, the rose of women who had come from the Women's Studies Department to support me, but then they were silent because he shamed them. He said, how dare you speak about my religion? You know, this man who's a convert and he's gonna out-Muslim me now, right? Because he as a convert thinks he knows Islam better than my family or those of us born into the religion. So these women, the yeah. white feminists, wanted to be politically correct yes. and not step on the toes of a Muslim authority yes. who is interpreting Islam. Right. And so they said, oh, oh, this is none of our business. We step back. And he's the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so the somehow there was, a, there was a very sophisticated takeover yes. where the, the white left-wing liberal women, because the feminists were part of the left wing, right? they kind of got compromised. Yes. It's a very important thing. It's so important because we're going to see that pattern repeat itself in, in, in uh, arena after arena. Yeah, they also compromised the gays and the lesbians because they're also, Islam doesn't allow that. Well, but, but they were able yes. to... Fundamentalist Islam doesn't allow, allow it. That. So, 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 so they were also able to somehow bring them on board. 
Yes. So they were able to make a coalition of all sorts of yeah. uh, people, uh, actually, with whom they have deep uh, Animosity. different animosities. Yeah, animosity and even violent response. Because, yes. you know, if you take this interpretation of Islam, as these clerics do in Afghanistan, in Iran, in Qatar, UAE, Saudi Arabia, you can, if you dare to speak up against the religion, you get charged with blasphemy. If you dare to be an atheist, you are beheaded in Bangladesh. You know, there have been such assassinations of Muslims and ex-Muslims. So this is a compromise of values. And that's what really has really um, made it clear for me, my path, because always I would see the face of Danny shining before me when they told me, Asra, you're shaming the community. You're shaming Muslims. I saw Danny's beautiful face, his smile, and it gave me clarity because I said, I'm not shaming. When we allow these clerics to preach such nonsense, they are shaming the religion, they are shaming the community, and they are the ones we need to shut up. So radical Islam compromised the integrity of the left. Yes. Especially uh, feminists. Yes. And other leftist values, they compromised. Uh, then they somehow co-opted, they were able to co-opt African-Americans. Yes. Even before George Floyd, it yes. started. It During started. the Obama time, it started. It did. It did. And the Islamization of the blacks. Yes. That's a, that's a serious matter. It's a real sadness to me because I was, you know, raised into the civil rights movement in the United States, just as you arrived as a young man to the U.S. as the landscape was changing. I was always fighting for the underdog in America. You know, I felt the injustices that had been part of the history. I knew how important civil rights movement is. And then I saw all of a sudden, unfortunately, the movement for civil rights among the black American community was also making compromises on fundamental issues of equality and justice. For example, how is it that the black American community fought so valiantly on the principle that there should be no separate and unequal status in America? You know, this is so critical, right. but we practice it in the mosque all the time and that's a fundamental injustice and and we shouldn't allow it but all of a sudden they too were accepting that because of cultural relativism moral relativism we can't judge them we can't you know make conclusions about how the Was community wants to run islamic funding of black activists well i can tell you this during that time who was exploding with their own propaganda against America? The Al Jazeera network. Mm, yes. And I know very clearly the power of that network because it is that network that has demonized Jews and Israel that allowed these men and who now killed, Hindus. And now Hindus. A exactly. huge amount of attack, including yes. me personally. Yes. I have been named. And so guess what? My friend Danny Pearl's father taught me. 
And this is something true that I know you believe too. When the first time I was attacked, Danny's dad, Judea, he said to me, Asra, wear it as a badge of honor, you know? And he stood up strong against Al Jazeera also because he saw how they were doing propaganda. And what was the propaganda during that time? About America as a racist nation. So they were the ones pushing the stories of Trayvon Martin. To win over, to win over the blacks. Yes, and to demonize America. Because everybody knows they treat the, the, the people who live in their nations like servants, like slaves, like second class, third class, fourth class citizens. I mean, there's a whole history of Islamic slavery. Yes. Islamic slavery. It's, it's written into it's, the it's, Quran. It, it, it's written in the Quran and yes. they practiced slavery in India. They brought slaves from Africa into yes. India. They sold Indians as slaves in Central Asian markets. Right. Muslims did. During the Muslim. So mm -hmm. this is all hypocrisy. It is. So, so, so therefore, I think I fault intellectuals on our side for not taking this seriously enough and educating blacks early on, before the blacks went on the other side. Yes, because ultimately, I had a, I had a thesis, we have to take responsibility. I had a thesis called the Afro-Dalit Nexus mm -hmm. over a dozen years ago in my book, Breaking India, right. where I talked about how the how certain forces are trying to bring them together, right. trying to bring the Indian un underclass and call them the blacks of India, right. and, and make them and make them attack the rest of the Indians as whites of India, right. and, and bring this racist thing. And nobody took it seriously. I've got dozens and dozens of videos right, on this. Right. And we had a dozen years to nip it in the bud. And yes. we could have. Yeah. But no one bothered. And that's why we have to wake up now. Yes. Because it's so, true. So let's look at so what has happened. So after 9-11, to turn things around in their favor, Islamic international forces, Qatar, Saudis, various people, right. they started working on the Democratic Party. They used the bill, the this uh, Obama administration right. as a way to get in. Uh, they planted some of their people. They got used the philanthropies. They, and this Al Jazeera network attacking America as racist. Right. Okay. So rather than saying we are attacking a Christian country, yes. which is what their agenda was. Yes. Rather than saying we are Very attacking a Judeo-Christian country right. because then they, then they wouldn't be winning over the blacks. Right. But they said we are attacking a racist country. A white supremacist a right nation. supremacist yeah. nation. So in order to win over the blacks, yeah. so they built this alliance of Muslims, leftists, blacks. Yes. That's the alliance, the unholy alliance that has been built. Yeah. And as you said, it's not that the average black or the average Muslim or, uh, or even the true liberal left wing is a bad person. But the, they've been, they have enough radicalized people who've taken over the leadership. Right. And I want to just tell you really quickly one tactic that they used because I want people to recognize how diabolical they are. So the Council on American Islamic Relations had a problem. All of this network had a problem on two issues. One was women's rights and then on the issue of human rights. So they had to do this attack on, on the, the critics. So they... In 2009, April Fool's Day, 2009, all of a sudden, a website went up and it was called Loon Watch. And what they did was they said, anybody who opposes Islam is a loon and a crazy person. So then they had anonymous article after anonymous article. And you know what they used as their names? The names of fish, unusual fish fish called Danios, Garibaldi, fish species that people don't know. Well, as a reporter, 
I had to find out who they were. And guess what? It was a secret operation run by the Council on American-Islamic Relations. And to this day, that website exists. And who was in their crosshairs? Muslim reformers like me, atheists, ex-Muslims, like Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Bill Maher, Sam Harris, and then Israel, number one enemy, and after that, India. And that's how this campaign has been fomented. And isn't CAIR supported by ISI? Well, they are absolutely supported by the uh, these Islamist groups that we, you know, call that want political Islam. I personally have not seen a bank account and a check from the um, the ISI, but they are definitely supported by ideologically. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And of course, one of their uh, issues has been Kashmir, you right. know, and 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 winning back Kashmir. Right. Yeah. So so now we're talking about okay. So this is all these things have been happening for. 10, 15 years yes. to take over the Democratic Party and weaponize it as an instrument of global Islam and right. global left. Right. Uh, using blacks as a kind of cannon fodder. Let them go out and fight because the people have sympathy towards them, People, white people have guilt towards them, and turn them into fighters for this wokeism. Yes. So now, now let's move on to how this wokeism is breaking America. Yes. I wrote a book, Breaking That's India. That's such a good... I wrote a book called Breaking India, oh my and my, my book title, which I talk, called Snakes in the Ganga, yeah. originally I was writing a book called Breaking America. That's perfect. And I have a draft for that. That's I have a 300-page draft of that. But I didn't. I put that aside in order to do this, but I'm going to go back and yes. finish that. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah. So how it, did it, it happen? It, breaking America yes. is how this country is being broken up. Yeah. So let's discuss Breaking America. I'd love that. So here we are. This is all happening. We don't really have an awake uh, uh, community in the United States that is fighting this, pushing back. Donald Trump gets elected in 2016, but all it does is make this unholy alliance even stronger because now they have this enemy. And then when I remember watching the um, Hello Modi tour in Texas and Donald Trump Howdy is there. Modi. Howdy Modi, that's right. <laughs> it was even more clever. I watched that and Donald Trump is there. Now they have two enemies. But the, the p masses, the people don't see this as um, the threat that it's about to become. So I wanted to show you how I became aware of this. Okay. Okay. So this is a letter, my son, that I brought back as a souvenir from Pakistan. I raised him by myself with my parents as a single mother. I was... A, a, a mother like Indian mothers. I watched him carefully. I sat, I did homework with him, and he got acceptance into the number one high school in the United States. It's a high school called uh, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. It was a day of such pride, you know, for our family. My father had arrived here as a PhD student like you, very poor. And my dad, I'll never forget the day my dad and my son walked into TJ, both of them with lollipops in their mouth. They were having a nice time. And the school was so exciting because guess what? 70% of the students are Asian. And so guess what we had? Sugar cane juice at back to school night. We had biryani at PTA gatherings. Then June 7th, 2020, we get this email. 
and I know this day because it's my birthday. And I want you to just read uh, the lines that I've highlighted here. Okay. And this is a letter. I'm so here just... it says, the recent events in our nation with black citizens facing death and continued injustices remind us that we each have a responsibility to our community to speak up and take actions that counter racism and discrimination in our society. So I that's implore, nice enough. Yeah, that's good. I implore you to think about your own journey and discovery of race and economic advantage in America. Yes. Please think of privileges you hold that others may not. Yes. So this is the privileges, poverty, succeeding over colonialism, murder of my friend Danny. What amazing privileges I have enjoyed in this world, right? raising a son by myself, facing, you know, the hardships. So they're calling you yes. because you you have a child in that school. Yes. You call they're calling you a privileged person. Exactly. Uh, associated with the the all the oppression of blacks. Exactly. As though you had something to do with it. Exactly. As though these seventy percent who are Asians right. are to blame. Right. So now the seventy percent of the population of this school, right. which is a prestigious school, right. who are, are Asians. Right are being told that the problems of blacks in this country are on your shoulders. Are, right. And that's why I'm wearing this shirt, because so let's, this uh, is let what we are. Look at this shirt. This is what we are, mama bears. OK, my dad made this shirt for me. OK, he painted it. But this is what we became. We became called white supremacists. OK, we became called QAnon moms. QAnon was this far right movement in the United States, we became called QAnon moms. Just for raising issues. For just for raising issues. And what were we raising? We were raising issues linked back to something really simple. What is this? Well, the Constitution. The Constitution of the United States. And in this Constitution, we had this amendment, the 14th Amendment, that you might not have known about when you first arrived here. My Dad might not have known about, but it gave us equal protection under the law. It gave us equality. And all of a sudden now, this principal, that email was written by the principal of our school, the authority figure, right? And now she was scolding us for being a part of inequality, for being an agent of injustice. But you have earned, uh, your kids got in on merit. Yes, it was a merit exam that the kids took all merit, race blind. And it happened that in America, we've had many successful immigrants from India, from China. So this anti-Asianism, yes. which was a way to kind of uh, channel white guilt right. into this anti-Asianism, the, the burden, the major burden is on Indians it's, and Hindus and, in yes. this country. Yes, that is a targeted character assassination campaign. Because, because it suits the Pakistanis, it suits the, the Muslim community, it suits the leftists. China won't stand for it. China is not going to give lip service to these people and bring them in, the way India has brought these people in. So India hasn't resisted all this, allowed it to happen. Yeah. And Indians have in fact joined all this, the wrong kind of Indians have joined these organizations. Right. But the Chinese haven't gone and made it worse for China, the way Indians have made it worse for India. Yeah, and guess how I discovered it? So as a journalist, I started asking questions. And in that email, 
the principal told us that we now needed to consider admissions changes. And what were the admissions changes? For the purpose of changing the racial demographics of the school. Fewer Asians. Yeah. And guess what I found out? That summer, the education secretary of Virginia was having secret meetings, and he was nominated to that job as a Democrat to the Democratic governor, a man by the name of Ralph Northam, who had a little race problem because there was a photograph once taken of Ralph Northam. Do you remember this picture? No. Oh, of, there's a photo in which he's either the man in the photo wearing a Ku Klux Klan hood, or he's the other man wearing a black face. So in a moment of youth indiscretion and bad judgment, and perhaps wrong values, he dressed up in this caricature. As a racist kind yeah. of thing. So he's kind of compensating for that. So now he has to compensate. And who is the education secretary? He is a man by the name of Atif Karni, a Pakistani Muslim who was just a middle school teacher. And he ran unsuccessfully for political office, but I looked at his political contributions. And where did those political contributions go? Back to organizations at the hub of the establishment Muslim community in the United States at this building at 500 Grove Street in Herndon, Virginia. And you can't even believe this. One of the ways they made money, they bought a chicken factory uh, and they made it halal. And then they had investment fund from it. And now they were pumping that money into election campaigns and the Democratic Party. And so Atif Karni rose to become education secretary. And who was he going to first put a hit on? The mostly Asian students and families at my son's high school. And who were many of these students? Indian Hindu families. It was unbelievable to me. And I am Indian Muslim, right? Somehow my son snuck in to this milieu, right? But I knew, I knew how wrong-headed this was on a couple reasons. One, discrimination is illegal in the United States. And then this war on merit, you have such a good term for it, on what is happening with the moronization, right? This war on merit is unfair and negative for the country. And so we started an organization of the parents. And guess who joined us? The Chinese-American parents mm. who had fled communist China. Right. Yeah. And they educated me to the Cultural Revolution and Marxism and socialism. And this, this became the, the new Bible for the United States of America, this book called Critical Race Theory. And right. this is the way they started bringing in all these ridiculous ideas about the oppressed and the oppressor. Right, right. And that's how Indian Hindus, Indians, Asians became labeled as See, the oppressor. See, this pedagogy of the oppressed, this is an old classic. Yes, this exactly. Is an old classic. I read this like long ago. Right. Long ago. But it, it's now been used in a right. wrong context. Exactly. It's been weaponized, yes. right? It's been weaponized and um, you know, this book, 
Rules for Radicals, Saul Olinsky. They so, brought so, in those principles. So they're bringing, they're weaponizing and making toolkits. Yes, exactly. And what do they have now as their um, yes, of course. white fragility to to like a like a club so you, over the heads of the white people? If you defend yourself or you or you yes. don't want to accept them at face value, then then you are in denial. Yes, and and that's white fragility yes. because you ought to admit the only uh, hope for you is if you confess that you are a right. racist. Right. And this is what we learned early on. And this is what I want everybody to understand. I had this father. He had been waging this war against merit in New York City for several years because they've been slowly doing this, as you've documented so well. His name is Qian Kuok. He's Chinese-American. And he was one of our first phone calls. It was just a few parents. And that's why like, I want everybody to understand you don't have to have thousands and millions to make a movement, to be strong. We had five parents, me, Suparna Datta, a Hindu American, Helen Miller, her husband, Glenn Miller, who studied at Harvard Law School under the father of critical race theory, Derek Bell, and then Yu Yan Zhou, a Chinese American who survived the Cultural Revolution, five of us. We got on the phone with Qian and Qian told us, you must be unapologetic. Do not apologize for your identity, your history, your life story. Do not accept this shaming. And, um, and that's why we ended up strong from the beginning. Isn't that remarkable? Wonderful. Yeah. So, that's, so our audience needs to know yeah. that this breaking America has now taken over uh, a good 50% of the country. Yeah, I want to, and I'm going to show you some of the ways. And it's 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 not something that people in India can say. Well, so what? It doesn't affect me because it affects India. Yes. It not only affects Indians here, and U.S. foreign policy towards India is totally shaped by this. But this has infiltrated India through Harvard's alliances, through the billionaires who are bringing it into the corporate world, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, and I'm going to show you woke baby. This is how they make it for little babies. So I want people to understand that this is not the stuff of just grown-ups. They're going after children. Look at this book. A is for activist. And they're teaching you how to be yeah. a woke activist. Yeah. And look at finally, Z is for Zapatista, which was a cultural Marxist, is a cultural Marxist terrorist organization in Mexico. In Mexico, yeah. And then white fragility leads to this book for children taught in Philadelphia school area schools around the United States. Not my idea, a book about whiteness. And this is meant for children? Look at the, look at the pictures. You can see it's heavy paper for the hands of children. And I want you to see this, this page. They, they, they go through this awakening of a girl on the issues of racial, just, racial justice. And then read this, what it says. Whiteness is a bad deal, it always was. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Dude, we can see your ponytail. And whose pointy tail is it? It's the devil. And what is this contract? What does this contract? Contract binding you to whiteness. You get stolen land, stolen riches, special favors. Whiteness gets to mess endlessly with the lives of your friends, neighbors, loved ones, and all fellow humans of color. Uh, so this is, yes. so, so this is, a view 
traditionally this view has existed right. of uh, Native Americans and blacks against the white settlers. But now this has been weaponized against everybody. You are considered white adjacent. Right. I'm considered white adjacent. And that's how Brahmins become associated. So now with, Brahmins are right. part of this category. Yes. And so the, the 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 Dalits and the Muslims in India and the Khalistanis have to take are part of this movement to see people like us as white supremacists. Yeah. And I want to. Uh, I'll, this is so bizarre. Yeah. That this has been born right here in this country and exported to India. And people in India are wondering why, why are there so many problems? And then look at us. We are as brown, as black as, as can be, but we lose our color. So I want, I want people to understand how dangerous this is because we are people who believe in children. And I want you to read that. What does that say? It says, innocence is overrated. Can you imagine? So actually they're fighting childhood innocence. There's a whole yes. movement. Yes. You want to talk about it? Yes. Yeah. I want Because I want people to understand that it, it's on every level. That's why people call it cultural Marxism, because it's a war on your identity in whichever way it is expressed in a, in a threat to this woke army that I call this network, this unholy alliance. How does it happen? So from the earliest days now, children are getting these kind of books. It says, bye-bye. So binary means black, white, or binary means male, female. Male, female so they, in this they instance. Want to, they yeah. want to have no category of boys and girls. Right. Boy or girl. See, what's it to you? And then they have lots of colors, you know, and then they're putting the fingernail. This is for little children. And they're putting big words like this binary. And then... And so the kids coming home who are five years old yeah. and saying that, you know, I, I think I should be a girl, not a boy. Right. Or something like that. And as a Muslim reformer, I have stood up strong against all of the extremism that criminalizes homosexuality, transgenderism for adults, right? Adults should be able to live their life with freedom as long as they are not criminal, like being um, hurting others, right? Like it, we do not want predatory behavior by heterosexuals, homosexuals, anybody, but everybody live and let live for adults. But now they're going after children. Here's one book. So now they're going after children. And I just want to show you some of the ways. As a Muslim reformer, I believe fundamentally in the rights of our gay and LGBTQ community to live, of course, with full freedoms. But now what they're doing is they're targeting children with, on issues of gender and sexuality. So instead of the ABCs, this is the book that you're, you probably read to your children. A is for apple, B is for bicycle. Now they have, A is for a word I don't even know, arrow and ace, right? What are these? B is, for bi, as in binary. T is not for train anymore. T is for? Trans. Trans, you guessed it. So then you have children. This is a book called Let's Talk About It. This is for middle school and high school students. And you can't even, I can't even show you these pictures. Some I had to cover them up because they're wow, so this explicit. this is pornographic. Yeah. It's, these are these are pictures. This is oral sex. This is all kind of stuff going on. Yeah. So this is these are prescribed for, in schools. Yeah, and I want you to read. I'm going to read you this one. Oops, 
one message. Look what they say, read that one, what they're telling children. Okay. A great place to research fantasies and kinks safely is on the internet. What great advice for children, right? And then down here below, they tell them that if you have a naughty picture, just be sure to cover up identifiable features like your eyes. But what are you doing? They're teaching people pornography. Yeah. And how to be exploited. Wow, they have all these uh, sex organs explicit. So who published this? Okay, look and at is this, it. Is this some kind of a... You're a good researcher. Porn shop or is it a school? This oh one? my gosh, this is in the school systems. This is, I got this from the Fairfax County, Virginia Public Library. Wow. And um, who is publishing these books? It's a library, yes. public library. This is another book called Gender Queer. It has a seal of endorsement from the American Library Association because the American Library Association has also become part of this unholy alliance. Can you believe it? I learned how to read by books checked out of the library. So this is a book that parents are now opposing called Gender Queer. And I have to cover up the pictures here too because they're so explicit. You know, you can wow. see unbelievable. People having oral sex. Yeah. yeah. And they even have an image of a man having sex with a boy. So this is not healthy behavior. I, I have... And a, this is entering the school system. It has entered. The it has entered. And so how do people may wonder, how did we get to this topic? But what yeah, is... How did we get to this topic? Yeah. Because... because how is it helping either, either leftists or blacks or Muslims? If those are the three that got together, yeah. then how do they end up with this? Because it destabilizes identity. It destabilizes society. Yes. It modernizes people. Yes. It makes them vulnerable because they don't have structures of family. Yes. And identity. Yeah. And that's something every one of us as... So to... Yeah, we believe in. To build a new world order. Right. You need to break the old world order. Yeah. And you have to break the mind. And you have to create a world disorder. Yes. So to create a world disorder, you have to break all structures, including family sense of gender, sense of sexuality, sense of who you are, what community you belong to, you have to break it down. Yes. The only ones that you spare are the ones who are the revolutionaries themselves. Yeah. It's very interesting. Until they are expendable. Well, but that will happen. Yes. So for now, right. the revolutionaries themselves are spared. They get a free pass. Yes. Their structures are okay. Their hierarchy is okay. Right. They are like a church with all the dogma. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else that they are out to demolish, like a like a wrecking ball, right. out to demolish, right. they, is is available for demolishing, yeah. and is a good thing to do. And now this kind of a force has entered and taken control of the Democratic Party. It's so disheartening. And, and this is American foreign policy. Yes, you have the U.S. Yes. Secretary of State going and lecturing India, wagging his finger, looking through this lens because this is what the foreign policy is that he's supposed to propagate. Right. And this is what the Secretary of Defense, who goes overseas, the, the people in the Pentagon, they are being required to put these kind of ideas in the military, right. in the United States military. And they are being miseducated about India and our history and our society 
by people like this Isabel Wilkerson, you know, writing her little book about caste. Right. Misrepresenting. So you see where caste. all this is coming from. People want, people should know where the attacks on Hinduism, attacks on yes. India are coming from. They're coming from all of this that has taken over the United States. So this discussion is not just for breaking America right. topic, but breaking India topic. Yeah, it's about breaking the world. And they are going nation after nation after nation. And it, I, want, I brought this illustration. I don't know if your children grew up with something like this, but it's a stacking thing. And what they argue, I think we, we agree as people with classical liberal values that there once was a time when there was a hierarchy of human value. I just use this as an illustration where the whites were on top. India has survived that, right? My parents survived it. There was a hierarchy of human value. People of color were at the bottom. We were second class, we were enslaved, sometimes by our own people, right? But now what they have done is they wanna flip it. They wanna flip the hierarchy of human value. And in this new hierarchy, somebody who is transgender, black, Muslim, if they can find one, is at the top, and maybe they might have a disability, you know, there's so many layers of oppression that they want to put. And then down at the bottom is the heterosexual white male. But then in order to destroy, to break India, they put above that person, perhaps above, maybe equal the same white equal. supremacist. The, the upper caste Indians. Yes. And that's what they call white adjacent now in America. But white adjacent means that your skin color doesn't matter. Yeah. But as long as you are part of the privilege yeah. that the the uh, whites created this society called meritocracy, technology, uh, institution, various kinds of institutions, family. So now whoever is enjoying success within those structures is called white adjacent. And what they do is they deny us our history, right? They talk about lived experience, but they deny us our lived experience. Right. They deny the fact that India and Hindus and people who oppose them have contributed to this world and this country. And that's why they go after families like mine at a school, because we become the perfect symbol for them of destroying the those that dare to challenge their narrative. We're so inconvenient and we speak up. You know, this is the, the big issue. That's why everybody has to have moral courage in doing this because they want to destroy you. You know, they want, and, and if people think, oh, I'm good, I'm comfortable in a nice job, I'm safe, and if I stay quiet, my child will be safe, then they don't understand what is coming at us. So to all the young people I know, uh, and some of them are know that I'm talking about you, <laughs> who are into this sympathy with woke, sympathy with the liberalism. Uh, this is nothing to do with Trump. It has nothing to do with whether you're for Trump or against Trump. It has to do with things like, are you for family values? Are you, when you raise your kids, right. are you going to want that they come back from school with these kind of books? And, and worse than this, there is now this view that parents don't have rights. Exactly. The state owns exactly. the child. Right. The moment a child is born, that child is a state property. The state will decide what happens to his child, how he's educated, what happens and all. 
it's not like the traditional rights of parents to right. decide, you know, how we raise our child, what are the values, yeah. out. So parents have been downgraded yes. in terms of their rights. And I'll give Tell you us a, about that. Yeah, I'll give you examples. And I could never have believed this, you know, except I have seen these documents myself. What has happened is that in this war now on children, and the important the important point that I want to make is I learned this from a psychologist friend of mine, that one of the most important fundamental ideas in creating a healthy adult is to give a child a very solid sense of self. It's a, it's a term in psychology, but and that develops all through the years, through past your 18 year of age mark into adulthood even, into your 20s. But what they're doing is they are going after the child's sense of self. And now there are practices, policies, and laws in the states and the school districts and the schools that say that if a child self-describes in a gender that isn't their birth gender, so they're born a boy and they, they say when they're five years old, seven years old, eight years old, I'm actually a girl, they can keep it a secret from the parents. And what has happened, I have seen the rosters the classroom roster, they have the name that the parent knows, and then they have another row, another column. And in that column is the name, the secret name that the kid has at the school. So these secrets are being kept from parents. And it is not just a rogue teacher here, a, you know, activist. So let me it's ask policy. you this. Is there a pushback from people in the yes. education system? Yeah, there's I mean, a pushback they, by uh, parents. No, but I'm saying, I, why are all teachers going along with it? Because they have this powerful movement in America called the teachers unions. But aren't there dissenting teachers who raise hell? I know of beautiful teachers that are challenging these policies, but then they get written up by their principals who want to advance within the school district. I know one named Julie, she's in Fairfax County, Virginia, and she speaks up, she speaks up, and every week or two, she gets reprimanded by the principal. And I, you know, I'm a person, I grew up in West Virginia. I was a very, I grew up very pro-union because I do believe that you have to protect labor rights. You have to protect the, the rights of anybody who is um, exploited. But what has happened, unfortunately, is the teachers' unions are not just protecting the teachers' rights. They're now involved in this machine of indoctrination, and, and they have resolutions, for example, to sanction Israel. What does that have to do with the practice of education in the United States? But they're using this activist agenda of this unholy alliance and putting it into the work of the teachers' unions. And the teachers' unions unfortunately, are also aligned with this removal of parent rights. That's so distressing and disturbing, and everybody needs to pay attention. And the important Trojan horses that are being used are words like equity. It is now one of the dangerous words, diversity and inclusion. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, culturally responsive education, critical consciousness. You know, they're stealing all these nice concepts 
and hijacking it with their activist agenda. So nobody should be fooled because it's just propaganda, dangerous propaganda. So this is the Breaking America scenario. Yes. And uh, uh, maybe I should uh, finish my book and get it out. <laughs> you should because there's a, the good news is nobody, that's why I use the concept of mama bears because Everybody knows. I think everybody can has the image of their mother before them. No matter what her education level, no matter what her personality, she was there protecting you in one form or another. You know, it and I I love this concept and every Indian and uh Hindu and everybody in the world should appreciate it because while born Muslim, my goddess is Durga and Durga Ma. You know, the concept of that benevolent spirit, strong, fierce, and we have that in us. We have a beautiful Durga upstairs. Yes, because she protects us. Yes. And that, and I learned in my own exploration of uh, Hinduism that. That concept, the Shakti that is Durga, can be in men, that protective spirit. Of course. Yeah. And I, these last few years, ever since we got this ridiculous email from the principal scolding us, I have been channeling my inner Durga and meeting mothers, you know, and fathers in America who will not allow the state to co-parent with them, you know? And they say, nobody is gonna get in between me and my cub, you know? And that's the spirit that I hope everybody will channel because we are, whether you have a child or whether you don't, we have to care about all children. I remember when I was traveling through India and I didn't have my son then, a beautiful person told me that we are all carrying that Durga spirit. You know, we all are caretakers of the children of this world. And it's our responsibility to raise them, to support them with a strong sense of self so that they can be healthy. That's what we want. Healthy, productive, beautiful human beings. And that's what these people want to destroy. And that's why we have to, you know, meditate, reflect upon whatever the fears are that we may have mm -hmm. and know that like each one of us i don't know if you still fear feel fear but i do i get sick to my stomach when i confront these people i i do my heart you know races but i heard this that courage is to act even in the face of fear and so i hope that that's the greatest meditation i want to share with people sure. So a question I want to discuss within this segment also is this whole, as part of this uh, uh, weaponizing the Democratic Party, Islamizing it and so on, this whole movement to criminalize Islamophobia. Yes. Now, now that's a very strange thing because it would be one thing if they said, let's ban Hindu phobia and Islamophobia and Christian phobia and Jewish, all the phobias against all the religions. Right. But the, the bills are being passed are only protecting Islam from phobia against Islam, but not protecting other religions. So first of all, it's unfair uh, because they're treating Islam in a special way. 
Yeah, but this is um, these are state sanctioned movements. Yes, and they think that they have the power of the state, right. and they exercise the power of the state. You know, things that we would think were just unimaginable, they believe is possible because that's how they run their countries. You know, you are punishable. Punished. I'm talking about United States. Right. I'm talking so, about United oh, States. Uh, yes. United States. But what what I'm saying the is, the Congress passed a bill. Yes. Banning Islamophobia. Yes. A law against Islamophobia, and the U.S. Senate put it put it on the floor. Uh, Cory Booker, New Jersey senator, put it on the floor. Yeah. I wrote a protest letter. Yes. And it didn't go anywhere. Right. But but it's still on the floor. Yeah, and you know why I use the word they, because. And I and and like you, you could hear from me. You were hearing the Islamist governments that I'm talking about, like Qatar, Turkey, right. Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Imran Khan, big secular cricket player. We think, but he pushed the Islamophobia Day, anti-Islamophobia Day at the United Nations. Why do I say they when I when we're including Ilhan Omar, representative from Minnesota, Cory Booker, the Democratic Party? because they have now become one. That is what people have to understand, that the influence of these foreign governments, these state actors, is now in the United States in legislation so like this. So the big this. story of this time is the Islamic takeover of United States uh, Democratic Party. It really is. I mean, it's a hell of a big story. And, and as and, a Muslim, and, and, and I and oppose see, it. And you see the use of Marxism as a very sophisticated theory appeals to liberal young people who don't enter through the door of Islam. They enter through the door of very liberal Marxist studies, yeah. social sciences, liberal arts, and they are then taken into this whole wokeism. So there are many gates to enter. Yes. One, yes. one of the gates to enter is you're a black who's fighting for justice. Right. And you enter in through this. Right. Through the black power movement. Another is you are a left-wing liberal, liberal arts person who's taken courses in humanities and social sciences. And through Marxism, you enter this gate. Yeah. Another is you're a Muslim and you are being radicalized and you're being told that this is good for the growth of global Islam. Right. So these are different movements that are all coalescing into the same cross-fertilizing. Yeah, this is this is how they exploited that concept of intersectionality. Yes. This is the intersectionality is really this unholy alliance. And uh, and I'll bring it home again for everybody in a way that's very real. So one of the moms, remember I told you, in the five who joined with me in summer of 2020 to oppose this judgment upon us as part of the privilege. She's that mom, Suparna Datta. So Suparna went from being, she too came just like you for her graduate studies in the United States. She studied in Tennessee. She had just quarters in her pocket walking around campus. Suparna became a technology specialist. She became a mom. And then she joined with me to fight this war on merit. They didn't listen to us. The, we had a school board, 12-0 Democrats. And one of the women on the school board was a woman by the name of Abrar Omesh. She was the daughter of the Muslim brothers who were part of this establishment that had entered the Democratic Party. So illiberal. I was kicked out of her father's mosque because I dared to go in through the front door into the main hall. 
the imam there called the police on us. So can you imagine now she's part of the Democratic Party and they have a war on merit. So Barna stands up strong and she helped get elected to office the new Virginia governor, a man by the name of Glenn Youngkin, a Republican. Glenn Youngkin nominated Suparna to the Virginia Board of Education. And it was such a moment of triumph for us because a parent's voice was there. Now she happened to be Indian and Hindu, but that didn't matter. We were all similar in values. It wasn't about her identity. But she stood up for the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and she spoke out against socialism. So now, when it came for her nomination, all of a sudden, she was targeted. And what did they call? They said, what did they call her? They said she was a white supremacist. And in the House of the, the on the floor of the Virginia Senate, who put forward an amendment? Oh my gosh, you won't even believe this. A Hyderabadi Indian American Muslim named Ghazala Hashmi. And she carried the torch. And you, torch is a metaphor that I'm using very explicitly because it might as well have been the KKK torch calling Superna a white supremacist. Mm. And in that chamber, they defeated Suparna's nomination. And this was this woke army that I call this unholy alliance of the socialists and the Islamists and the establishment Muslims. And they targeted Suparna, an Indian Hindu mom, and they called her an anti-Muslim Hindu extremist. And she's one of my best friends. So, Unbelievable. so much to uh, discuss. So we should uh, close this segment. And uh, I want people to know that in the next segment, it's very important because we're taking this whole thing to India. We're going to talk about how America's leading export is no longer technology, science, democracy, free market. It's wokeism. It's wokeism is a foreign policy of the United States. It's, it's U.S. is championing it in uh, not only in its own schools, yes. but U.S. is championing it in the World Bank, in the United Nations, yes. uh, in every foreign policy. And India is a soft target. India is the major target where wokeism from America is being exported. And we'll talk about it in the next segment. And why are we going to talk about it? We're going to talk about it because we love India. We love America. We love this world. And we believe in a world of fairness, equality, and this concept that the family and the child matter. Right? And that's something universal. Yes, exactly. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you.